Good morning. How you doing, Miss Carol? How many of you like peanut butter? Good? Yeah? Okay. Have, okay, I, peanut butter sandwiches I get. Uh, peanut butter, I eat peanut butter and pickle sandwiches, by the way, so. See? All y'all groan. My wife grunts. You too? I, I knew I liked you from the minute I saw you. Peanut butter, onion, and mustard. Peanut butter and celery, yes, is also a good choice. Peanut butter and apples. Peanut butter and crackers. Okay. Okay. So, huh? I'm going to lose the room with what? The peanut butter and pickles? Just a discussion about peanut butter? Okay. So now, here's the next question. Is, do you, peanut butter and mayonnaise? You eat that? Because I was going to pray for you if you do. You're, Okay. Okay. Yes. Oh, I'm questioning some things. Yes. Peanut butter and mayonnaise. I, I knew I was concerned about you. Okay, now it's just getting crazy. We just need to stop right now. I mean, I think we've all got our limits, okay? And peanut butter on hot dogs might be past my limit, Thursa. Okay. So, how many of you know somebody who's allergic to peanut butter? Yeah? I just got to leave the nuts out of it because of stomach issues. Then it's not peanut butter anymore. Oh, my goodness gracious. Okay. It's just butter. Uh, anyways, okay. So, one of the things at, a, at our, a camp that we used to go to, a youth camp in Minnesota, one of the things they served on Sunday morning, or not Sunday mornings, but almost every morning, was pancakes with peanut butter, okay? And if you've never had pancakes with peanut butter, not jelly, pancakes with peanut, now you're messing with me again. Pancakes and peanut butter, we used to put syrup on it too just because it's really good. I'm just telling you it really is. Well, one year, uh, a kid came to camp that was going to come to camp that year that was so allergic to peanut butter that he couldn't even be within breathing distance of it, right? Um, that he would, he would go into anaphylactic shock. It would, just, it would probably take him out, right? So the, the camp decided at the beginning of the season, knowing he was going to come in a few weeks, to get rid of all peanut butter. No peanut butter anywhere in the camp, near the kitchen, around anything. First of all, in the first week of camp, there was a mutiny. Because that was just one of the things you ate at camp, right? You ate peanut butter and pancakes, right? But we did that. They did that for good reason, right? They did that to protect a young man, to give him a chance to come to camp and, and do so not fearing things could go horribly wrong because camp in Minnesota is a mile, or a mile, an hour from the nearest hospital, okay? So if something goes wrong, you know, your options are limited, but I was reading an article, and this is where we get to the peanut butter thing. I was reading an article today, actually this morning, uh, about a shot that scientists have developed that they believe will allow people with peanut allergies to not have any effects for six weeks. So they, did you see that? Was that while you were eating the peanut butter and mayonnaise sandwich? Uh, okay. 
Okay. So they have a shot now that you can, you, can, you can take that shot and then be peanut allergy free for about six weeks, and then you have to get another shot. Now, for someone who's deathly allergic to peanut butter, how much does that change your life? Right? That is a life-changing thing for them. Because now they're able to do things they were not able to do before. They're able to even walk without fear, right? I mean, if you're that allergic to peanut butter, if you go into a restaurant or you go to a friend's house, or you right, you have to always be on guard. You have to always be concerned that things are going to go south, that it could go bad. And yeah, it could be a worst-case scenario. But this one shot can change the entire way you relate to people, right? It can change your fear levels. It drops. It makes you safer. It changes for them a lot. It changes a lot. And so as we're talking about our series, we're in our last week of our series, Graceful. Um, I want to close, because Paul, Paul closes in the book of Galatians. He closes with this emphasis on how grace changes everything. How it makes everything in our lives, who we are, what we are about, what our witness looks like to the world, the fruit we bear, which we will get into, all the above, it makes all the difference in the world. Grace changes everything. And if you don't leave here today with anything but that, please leave here with that rattling around in your heart and in your mind. Grace changes everything. Grace changes everything. Everything. So we're going to look at Galatians chapter 6. We're going to go through 6 through 10, 1 through 10 today, but we're going to start it, we're going to do it in chunks. We'll do 1 through 5, talk about a few things, then do 6 through 10. So it says this, it says, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you won't also be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone and cannot compare himself with someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. I will tell you that that section of Scripture confused me for a very long time carry each other's burdens, but we got to carry our own load, right? It sounds like an oxymoron. Help me carry everything, but i got to carry it myself. There's some truth to that. We'll get to that in a second, but it, it, it was hard for me for a while. But our first lesson is this, is that grace changes your aim. It changes your aim. Um, in the continuing saga of integrating a new cat into my house, right, look, if y'all hear, hear me preach every week, you're going to hear what's going on in my world. Because God, God, I think, gives me these stories just for this purpose, right? So the other day, in case you're not caught up and haven't been here, we're integrating a stray cat into our house. We already have a cat. It's not going very well. That's kind of, that should catch everybody up, right? Okay. The other day, Heather and I, are, we're sleeping. It's, it's uh, 4.30 in the morning. And one of our uh, expectations right now is that, that the new cat, the stray, short stuff, for lack of a better term, is to stay in our son's room all night. That's his job. So he puts him in his room and closes the door, keeps him in his room all night. Well, 
Apparently, the other night, he forgot to put him in his room. Or he got tired of the cat bothering him in the middle of the night and kicked him out of his room. We're still unclear as to which happened. <laughs> and about 4.30 in the morning, the cats decided they were going to throw down. <laughs> I mean, they decided it was, it was on. It was time. It's been a long time coming, and it's going to happen. The problem is, really, well, that's a problem in and of itself, but what really made it a big problem is that it happened about two feet from my wife's head. So Heather jumps out of bed with this squeeze, this high-pitched kind of escalating squeal that I, I've never heard before come out of a human being, let alone my wife, Right? <laughs> this shrill that kind of escalates and she screams, hey, stop it. And I jump up out of bed and I don't know if you know me, I sleep, I have a CPAP, okay? So I leap out of bed and I've got this machine in this tube just hanging off me and I'm going, stop it, just stop, what is going, I don't know what we're stopping, but what's going on? Huh? I need a camera for that. Yeah, there are times when I'm glad my house does not have cameras everywhere. So, right. So, <laughs> I will tell you openly that in that moment in time, my aim was to kill two cats. <laughs> that was my aim. I was not feeling really very hospitable at the moment, right? I was ready to kick them out the door right? Or lock them in a box and say, do this on your own. Now, would that have been the right response? Don't know, Barb. It would not have been the right response. Would not have been the right response. It would not have been the right thing to do. You got, y'all should have been in our teen class this morning as we were talking about cats versus dogs. It was an interesting, so, but the, the reason I bring up this thing is, is that in verse one of our, of our scripture today, uh, Paul uses the word overtaken. He says you're overtaken by wrongdoings. What I want us to help us understand the connotation of this word, in other words, the kind of the nuance of it, what it means, is that this is a sudden kind of unexpected sin, in this case, in your life. Something happening to you or something happening to somebody else you know within the body, but it's a sudden kind of overtaken thing. When you're scared like that or, or surprised by something, maybe it's, maybe it's you've been walking along with the Lord for a period of time and things are going well and all of a sudden you find yourself slipping back into something that you thought you'd left behind. It rears its ugly head. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe, who knows. But it suddenly rears its ugly head and it pops back up. And there is a tendency to react emotionally to that. Just as I reacted emotionally to cats scaring the daylights out of me, I did not expect that to happen. It kind of hit me out of nowhere. When I'm scared or um, offended or hurt or even when somebody else kind of lets me down because the sin popped up back in their life, I thought they had this taken care of, right? And it comes back. My tendency is to react emotionally. I don't know about you. But Paul is trying to help them understand here that this, is, this suddenness, when this happens, though our tendency might be to aim toward 
I, I guess punishment. I wanted to punish the cats, right? I wanted to lock them in a box together. If somebody hurts me of this sudden sin that I did not expect, if my wife who is faithful to me cheats on me all of a sudden, right? My response is probably going to be aimed at punishment. That's if I let my emotions do their thing, right? But Paul is encouraging his people when something like that happens, when you're offended or you're hurt, or even if it's your own sin, to not aim towards punishment, but to aim towards a cure. And that's a different perspective altogether. We, we kind of worked on it a little bit last week. The, the notion that, that, that grace is intended upon helping one another come to know the Lord, come to grow, come to be cured of our sin or our challenge or our difficulty. It's not about punishment. It's about finding a solution. The, the, the analogy we used last week is when you're arguing with your, your kids and suddenly the discussion goes from I'm trying to help you to now I'm mad at you, right? And somewhere that switch flipped and they're being disobedient and that's what's really got you mad. It's not about fixing them anymore. It's about punishing them or it's about getting your point across or it's about any of those things. Because we're emotional when we're upset, we're emotional when we're sinned against, and we're emotional with ourselves when we suddenly fall off the wagon, so to speak, when we backtrack. And it's really easy to beat yourself up. It's really easy to beat up everybody else who does something to you. But Paul's trying to say when this happens, our response needs to be different. Because he goes on in verse 1 and he says our aim should be to restore. He uses this word, restore. Warren Wearsby says, this means to mend as a net or to restore a broken bone. When I was about um, eight or nine years old, I, I was uh, getting ready to bat at a, at a t-ball game or a base, baseball game. I was getting ready to play and I was on deck. I was getting ready to bat. And it was, it was a camp, so it wasn't real formal. There were no ums. It was just a bunch of kids playing. And, you know, so I start swinging the bat, and I'm getting ready to warm up, and I'm talking to somebody as I'm walking that way towards the batter's box. And here's the problem. The kid who was already batting had not left the batter's box yet. I'm not really sure on the details. Here's what I know. I know that my nose went from being right here to right here. That's what I know. I know it was smashed sideways. I know that my mother lied to me and said it's not broken. <laughs> right? But, and, and you know, that hurt. That really did. But I'll tell you what hurt more. Because they, they put, obviously they had to put me under and have a surgeon put it back, right? So they put it back in place. But then they, they, you can't really put a cast across your face, right? So what they do is they pack your nose full of gauze, right? And essentially, they use your nose as the cast to hold your nose in place. So three weeks later, this is going to be gross. I hope your stomachs are good. I debated whether or not to tell you this, but I'm going to anyways because it, it makes my point. When, I, when they go to, to pull the, the packing out of my nose, I will tell you that that hurt way worse than getting the nose broken. Because as I'm sitting there, and they're just pulling it out, it's like a 60, I swear it was a 60-foot string in each side. <laughs> I swear it was. 
It hurts like the dickens. Now, I think on the whole, they did a pretty good job. I don't know. You'd have to ask my mom. Of course, she'd lie to you and say, oh, they did fine, whether they did or not. But I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So the, the point would be that, that that was part of the process that needed to happen. I needed to have my nose packed, right? I needed to have that stability. But I also needed to have it removed because once the healing process had started, if I didn't have it removed, right, I'd be talking like this all the time, right? My nose would be three times the size it should be and bad things would happen. And it, but, but the point is that sometimes the process of curing is more painful than the injury itself, right? And that includes curing your heart, curing your soul. That includes when, you're, when your soul is mending from a sin that you have fallen back into or somebody else's heart or soul is mending from a sin that they've fallen back into. Honestly, if they're really pursuing the cure, and sometimes we don't, sometimes we put a Band-Aid on it and say that's good enough, and that's a problem, because every time you rip the Band-Aid off, it's still there. But if they're really pursuing the cure, if they're really allowing the Lord to mend their heart, if they're really healing, if they're really growing, there will probably be some pain involved because they have to come to terms with themselves, with their mistakes that they've made. They have to come to terms with their relationships with others and recognizing it's probably not where it needs to be or it should be. They're gonna have to come to terms with their relationship with the Lord. They're probably also gonna have to leave some things behind. What I'm trying to say is when we emotionally want to aim for punishment, we're really punishing somebody, including ourselves, who's already hurting. And Jesus thought enough of us to be, to not face our pain by trying to hurt us some more. When he realized the relationship needed to be mended, right, he chose to take the step to restore us to him. And that's really hard to do when we're upset with ourselves or with somebody else. And so this notion here of changing our aim is the idea that we need to be aiming for restoring. William Barclay says it this way, the word here, restore, lays the stress not on punishment but on a cure. Let's, let's keep that in mind. When, when we're faced with somebody who suddenly offends us or suddenly sins against us, including ourselves, if we're really here to help them be restored, if we're really here to help them and to fill them with the grace of God and to be his people, our job is not to punish them. Our job is to help them to find the cure. And that may mean instead of inflicting pain, it may mean recognizing they are in pain and helping them walk through it. Helping them walk through it. It's much easier just to punish them for it and walk away. It's much more grace-filled to walk with them as they're enduring the pain of the cure. The next thing is this. Grace changes our attitude. In verse 2, this is the section I had trouble with. In verse 2, this word burden, uh, Wearsby reminds us that in the Greek, this, this word burden is, is a heavy burden that you cannot carry for yourself. You cannot carry it all by yourself. Have you ever tried to lift something you just could not carry by yourself? 
right? I have, but it usually ends up happening. I hurt myself. I have bad back, bad ankles, bad knees. My wife is forever telling me don't try to lift that, but, you know, I'm a man. I can do that, right? I can do it. And I will try to lift it myself anyways, and I almost always end up paying the punishment, although for the record, I don't always admit that I'm hurt. I kind of just, fine. She's like, no, you're not. Go take some ibuprofen. You know, the, the truth is that we, when it comes to the, the burden of, our, of our, our sins, there are some sins that really God put us together to help each other carry those burdens and those loads. But we are so stubborn about trying to carry it ourselves. And Paul mentions that when he says, when he says in here, if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. There is this, this arrogance of, I can carry this burden myself. I can do it myself. I don't need your help. This is not something that I need any, any, any assistance with. I can do this. And Paul says, you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself into believing you can carry this burden alone when the reality is he put us together so that we could help each other carry that burden. And that will look different. Sometimes it's a shoulder to cry on. Sometimes it's somebody to pray with on a regular basis. Sometimes it's somebody who's going to hold us accountable to a life change that we know we need to make. We all need those things, but we are so reticent to give it over. We want to believe we can do this all ourselves, and guess what? We can't. We talked last week about the need to surrender, how that's critical to this process of realizing the grace of Christ, surrendering to him. Surrendering to him means allowing him to work personally in your heart and through his people because he put us together as a church, a gathering for a reason. So in verse 5, he talks about a load. Now, on first glance, I think burden, load, burden, load, burden, load, same thing. But Barclay says it this. He says, the word Paul uses here is for a soldier's pack, this idea of carrying a load. There are basic things in your life that I think if we're, if we're doing what we need to do, especially in our faith walk, that we need to carry ourselves right? I'll give you an example. Um, if the only time you're connecting with the Word of God is on Sunday mornings, and, and it's, it's listening to our wonderful praise team, or listening to me speak, or somebody else speak, if that's the only time, then what you're doing is you're expecting me or the praise team to carry your faith load for you. Does that make sense? Where, where there are enough sins and enough difficulties and enough challenges that are so difficult we do need each other for, there are certain things that I cannot carry for you, that somebody else cannot carry for you. And one of those things is your personal relationship with the Lord. One of the concerns I have every week when I stand up here and speak, many, I have many concerns, right? I want to honor God in everything I say. I don't want to offend anybody unless they need to be offended, 
right? But one of the things I worry about is that we're going to walk out of here and people are going to feel like, uh, okay, Rob filled me back up. I'm going to live my faith through him vicariously. He did all the study for me. He did all the prep for me. He did all the considering of the word of God. That's all I need. I've got everything I need. I cannot do that for you. I can strengthen you to the best of my ability. With the help of the Spirit of God, I can, I, can, I, can, I can try to strengthen you. I can try to push you. I can try to encourage you. I can try to help you. And I will help you carry whatever burden you need if you tell me you need the burden carried, but I cannot carry it for you. Hallelujah. And it, it concerns me greatly when I think, is somebody expecting me to carry the load for them? I cannot carry that load for you. I can help you. I can teach you. We can teach each other. But please don't fall into the trap of believing that somebody else can carry it all. Your faith is your faith. Your connection to God is your connection to God. And I want to see you flourish. And I want to see you be able to throw on that pack and run with it. But soldiers train so they can do that. They don't just throw a pack on one day and run, right? They train for that. So do we. So it changes our attitude, how we handle burdens, how we see the difference between those things that are so heavy that we need help solving them and those things that we must carry ourselves. So let's move on to the next section, Galatians 6, 6 through 10. It says, let the one who has taught the word Share all his good things with the teacher. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap, because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. What I want us to get here is, is two things. The first, that grace changes our fruit. It changes the fruit we bear. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and to his people, and he says to them, a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce Good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. We understand that. But here's what I want us to get. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes. Grapes are not picked up from, from a bramble bush. Grace transforms us if we are really embracing grace, if we are really living out the grace of God with others. It transforms our relationships. It transforms ourselves. It trans transforms all of who we are it transforms the impact we can have on others around us. It turns us from bramble bushes to grapevines, from sowers of flesh to reapers of eternal life. We are at less than our best when we do not recognize the role of grace and what it can change when we downplay that. Heather was reading a study to me earlier this week on strawberries. Strawberries. Some German scientists a few years ago were doing a study of pollination and growth of strawberries. Did you know that strawberries can self-pollinate? They can. They don't need bees. 
They don't need other plants. They can pollinate themselves. I had no idea, right? But these scientists wanted to test a theory. They wanted to see if there was a difference in what your pollination source was. And so they set up some strawberries where they, they put bags around them where no pollen could get in in any way, shape, or form, right? And so they were all self-pollinating. It still gets sunlight in. I don't know how that all works. That's why I'm a Bible teacher and not a scientist. But they set it up so no pollen could get in. It was just the strawberries pollinating themselves. And then they set up a different set of coverings that would allow pollen from the wind to get in, but the holes were too small to allow a bee to get in. Okay? So they had seeing if other plants pollinating it, what, what that would do. And then they made sure they put a set of plants near a combination of both wild bees and domestic bees, because apparently you need both, because wild bees and domestic bees pollinate two different parts of the plant, of the flower. Look, I learn these things, and I just tell you what I learn, right? I don't. And they found something really, really interesting. They found that though the strawberries can pollinate themselves, there was a dramatic difference between a letting them pollinate themselves and allowing the bees to pollinate them. They, were, they went from being darker and kind of more faded in color to brighter. Their sugar content went up. And more importantly, their shelf life extended greatly. They said something like 80% of all strawberries lose their capacity to be sold as fruit within hours, especially if they allow themselves to be self-pollinating. Reality is they need that influence. They need bees to pollinate them. Sometimes I wonder if we don't try to pollinate ourselves. We can produce fruit, for sure, but can we produce the best? Does our best fruit come to life if we are so busy just trying to pollinate ourselves, staying in our own little world, not allowing each other to be a breath of life, not allowing the Spirit of God and the grace of God to transform who we are. And we, we, we are busy self-pollinating and we wonder why things aren't changing or our life isn't changing or we continue to fight the same fights that we always have fought. And I wonder if we allowed grace to pollinate our lives. If we allowed each other, because it comes in different forms, right? I said it takes two kinds of bees to really most effectively pollinate a strawberry. If it takes two different sources of the Holy Spirit, I'm sorry, Holy Spirit, right? We're not using the anymore. Holy Spirit coming and reaching into your lives through the Word of God, through your time in prayer, and through each other. Do we not become brighter, fresher, Longer lasting, just as a strawberry does. I think we do. I think that's 
grace, understanding grace and, and giving it to one another, allowing it for ourselves, I think is, is what helps us last and have stamina and strength in our faith. If you've ever noticed, those who fall away are those who try to self-pollinate, those who try to walk by themselves. And then one day we look up and we go, where did they lose their faith? Or I go, how did I lose my faith? Because I was trying to walk alone rather than accepting the grace of having other people in my life to guide me, strengthen me, pollinate me, and help me become everything I'm intended to be in the Lord. It's a gracious God that provides that for us. It's just a shame that we don't always take advantage of it. Finally, grace, like the peanut butter shot, grace changes everything. It says, let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we do not give up. Don't give up. We live in a microwave society, right? If you don't get what you want and get it right now, you give up and go on to the next thing. We talked about this last week. Commitment, if you really want to see that, feel, experience grace, grow in grace, live within the, the, the graceful umbrella of the Lord, commitment is required. Don't give up because Satan has a vested interest in testing your faith. He desires to do that. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Especially those who involve or who belong to the household of faith. Multiple times throughout the scriptures, we are called to be more to each other than maybe we are to anybody else in our lives. Is that a foreign concept? Yes, it is. As a foreign concept, it's really hard to draw that line. But what, what Paul is trying to help the people of God here is there's a group of people trying to pull them away. We remember we talked early in our series about Judaizers who are trying to pull people away and trying to add to the gospel and trying to make it something other than what it is. And he's saying, look, in the midst of all of this turmoil and difficulty and challenge, don't give up. Lean into each other. Lean into each other. Yesterday at um, Bernice's funeral, um, I don't know if you sensed it or not, but right at the end when I was doing a closing prayer, I was going to break. And without being asked, Barb gets up. Barb, who, the person who has every reason to mourn, right? Every reason to be sad. Barb gets up and walks over and grabs me by the arm and holds on to me and hugs me while I'm doing a closing prayer. And I want, to, want you to know how much of a difference that made for me. That Barb in a moment, I'm sorry, Barb, but Barb, Barb in a moment when she had every reason to just be worried about what she was feeling and in her own little world, by the grace of God, walked up and showed me grace and love. That's the kind of difference we're supposed to make for each other. That's the kind of people we are supposed to be to one another. 
we must remember that it is grace that makes all of that possible. It is the grace of God that we are saved. Yes? It's not from anything that we've done or anything we deserve. It is purely, completely, totally the grace that flows from His love that saves us. And we are called, especially in our times of turmoil, to be that for one another. Let us have the strength and the humility to do just that. Okay. I believe it's time to close. If you're just joining us, uh, we close our service every week the same way. Uh, we stand up, and uh, what we will do during this time is we will pray. We have a, a list of prayers for, of, that were taken ahead of time. If you didn't have a chance to, there's always somebody out front with a clipboard that says prayer, prayer team on it, and they want to pray with you and for you. They will write down your prayers if you want them publicly announced, or they will pray personally with you if that's what you'd like. But these are some of the prayers that were given for others. And then we will see if the Spirit has moved you, if there's anything else that you need prayer for or desire prayer for on behalf of somebody. So here's, here's our list today. Um, many of you may know that uh, Tom Kaur's father passed away this week. Um, we, we would like to ask that you be in prayer for him and for his family. The funeral is tomorrow. It's in Bell Center. The details are in the newspaper, or I can get them for you, or you can look at our prayer wall this afternoon. They'll be up. They'll be up on our prayer wall on the app. Keith Reefstall, I want you to know, is in the hospital right now. He's at OSU. They got him there at 4 o'clock this morning. Um, he has a fluid buildup in his abdomen. Um, and so they probably are going to have to drain that off. If you don't know Keith, he's had a liver transplant twice and a kidney transplant. So um, I was with Deb last night. We visited him at Rutan before they left. And um, Deb needs your prayers too. Um, it's beginning to weigh. She needs your love and your prayers. Shoot them a text. Give them a call. And if you happen to be in Columbus, he's probably going to be there for several days. Please, please visit him if you're going to be there. Holly asked for prayers for young Daryl, right? And for the troops. Uh, Missy Cummins has asked for prayers for Betty Kaufman, the former WRE treasurer. Treasurer, she's in OSU. She looks like she's had a stroke, yes? That you would pray for her. I know that's somebody that Kathy has really gotten to know too. Pauline Westlake has asked for prayers for Daisy Anderson. She is at Green Hills uh, in room 17, but it, it's it, going downhill are the words that I have written here. It's not, it's not good. So if you have an opportunity to visit Daisy, please do. She's close now. She's not in Lima, right? She's at Green Hills. Uh, we'd like to ask for prayers for Lori Siders. Thank God she's home after her surgery. Let's pray that she continues to heal, right? I'd like to ask for continued prayers of healing uh, and growing peace for the Shu family. They're still mourning the loss of Mary um, in Dad's home, right? Kind of alone. Needs some love there. And they're also having some car problems. We'd like to pray for that too. Um, and then the, the Colt family. Um, I thought yesterday was 
a wonderful day to glorify your mom and the Lord. Um, and for whatever it's worth, I thought you did an amazing job. She'd have been so proud of you. Um, please lift them up in prayers. Please continue to help them heal and discover the new normal for them. Of course you can say something, yes. You know, I just want to tell you, thank you for your support. And so many times people say, I don't need to go to church. I can listen to the gospel on TV. And for some people, they have to do it that way because they can't get here. But you know what? If you don't have a home church, you know you're welcome here. And if you go here, I want to tell you, without the support of this church, my brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's it's a blessing to have that support. We can't do it alone. I, a lot of times I think I can do it alone. But guess what? I couldn't have ever done what I did yesterday to honor mom, to honor the people of this church. And I hope I can continue that gratefulness and the support that Jerry and I both because it's been a hard time. I'm, not, I'm sorry for myself. But it's been a hard time for Jerry too. It's crop season. He's got to ask somebody to help and people step up. It was a time of mourning for our family. I was sad. I am sad. But the people of God stepped up. So if you ever wonder, do you need to go to church? We do. So I love you, and I thank you so much for the family of God and the support that our family and has supported Jerry and I through all of this. And I know we each have our own story, and I know we each have our own thing that we're going through. And please make me mindful that I can help support you. So thanks for everything. Love you, you know that. She, sh I think she should be a preacher, don't you? Somehow, I really do. I really do. I really do. Yes. Safe, safe travels. Yeah, Shantae, you're out of here on Tuesday. Are you, are you sad to leave behind the snow and the cold? No, <laughs> no. Dear, we will miss you. We love you greatly. We love you greatly. Anybody else? Yes, Miss Bonnie. Okay. Yes. Right. Okay. Okay, and what is her name? Mary Ends. We'd like to offer prayers for Mary Ends. I can't even imagine losing a daughter and a spouse within 72 hours of one another. I can't even begin please and safe travels for you too yes ma'am anybody else okay let's close father god what amazing and powerful and gracious and merciful god you are lord we are blessed we are so blessed to have one another we are blessed to know you 
Lord, I, I pray that you've, you've heard our cries today, that you've heard our prayers, that you've heard the pain, that you've heard us crying out loudly to you in need of healing and grace for those that we love. Lord, we are thankful, so thankful for Bernice's life and her witness. And we know we can celebrate with you right now that she is sitting at your right hand, smiling and laughing, probably telling people how it really is because she's candid, right? Thank you for the blessing of her life. Thank you for the blessing of this body, the opportunity we have to be your hands and feet for one another. Lord, I pray that you will open our hearts and minds, that you will give us the strength to carry forward, that you will help us to run the race powered by you and directed by Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you will keep us safe until we are able to meet again. I thank you for those who are new here today. Thank you for letting us worship with them. I pray that we will be an encouragement, that their faith will grow in you. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do in our lives, for watching out for us and for putting up with us. Jesus, you are our Father. You are our Savior. And you are a source of life. Until we meet again, until it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you.